one of the things that was interesting on my flight home is I, I, was, I was overnighting in, in Heathrow Airport, and it was right when Hurricane Sandy was hitting the East Coast. And it was interesting watching the travelers deal with change. So for some reason, airline travelers don't like change. They don't like to hear their flight is canceled. And so throughout the night, I was spending the night there, not because a flight was canceled, but because that's when the next flight to L.A. was. Throughout the night, all of a sudden, you'd, you'd hear yelling and screaming. And someone's at the desk going, why can't you help me? And, and just, just all kinds of other things that, yeah. And, um, and I'm thinking, okay, this isn't the wisest course of action. That's the only person that can get you on another flight. Do you really want to make them angry? You're going to be 30 more hours traveling through Timbuktu or wherever. And, and, but the, the idea that things had changed was so disturbing for people that it got, it got them upset. They wanted to get home. And, and I can understand that. But there was nothing anyone could do about that change. The hurricane was coming. Or it had come. And, and all this was in the context of studying about the attribute of God that He is unchangeable. And I was reflecting on how much life changes for us. You, the, the statement and the title plays off this statement. The only thing that doesn't change is change itself. Or sometimes it's worded, the only constant is change itself. Isn't that true in life? What hasn't changed? And we even just talked about Joshua and Deanna having, having um, baby Jacob. Change? Yeah, it changes everything. I watch my kids grow, and, and every year, everything changes. Some change is good, some change is bad. Some change is hard to deal with. But we are always changing. You come home, and you find the furniture in your living room. It's all changed. Moved around. Why do we do things like that? We're looking for something different. We're looking to, to mix things up. The change sometimes hurts. One day we, we have someone that's a close friend, a trusted confidant, and the next day something has happened and they barely will speak to us. We grow apart from people and don't connect anymore and something has changed. Kids who want to hug and cuddle when they're little suddenly just want to say hi and go about their business. We get sick of change sometimes. But as human beings, we crave stability. Even if you like change, I would bet you crave stability on the important things. That, that you want to know for sure different things, that, that your husband or your wife loves you and they're committed to you. That gravity is going to work tomorrow just like it does today. You know, little things. But change is something that we have to deal with. And because it's such a part of our lives, it is very easy to project a changing world and, and how everything must change and conform. It's easy to project that on God and to come to God thinking that He is a God that is malleable, that will change, that somehow is... <coughs> Excuse me. I did come back with a cold. <laughs> that somehow is unstable and we're not sure really what God, what an unchangeable God would look like because we have no form of comparison. This morning we want to talk about God's unchangeability. That the only thing that doesn't change is God Almighty. The only thing we will ever deal with that doesn't change is God. And we praise Him for that. As we look at unchangeability, we, as we've looked at the attributes of God, we start with a definition. 
And the definition in your notes for unchangeability or that God is unchangeable is God is unchanging in His being, His attributes, purposes, and promises. Let me repeat that first part. God is unchanging in His being, attributes, purposes, and promises. Yet God does act, and He acts differently in response to different situations. He remains forever the same true God. We're going to unpack that definition a little bit because there's different parts of it we want to explore. Um, his being, His attributes, purposes, and promises and how God does act and how God does respond. Some, some theologians call this attribute immu- sorry, can't even talk today. Immutability. Immutability. One calls it constancy. And immutability is a term that's sort of falling out of, of favor, but I, I think it's a great term because M, the, the first part of it, M, means not, and then mutability, not mutable. And it's from the word to mutate or to change. And if we think of that God doesn't mutate, God doesn't change in any way, then we begin to understand the depth of our God. Now, as with our, our other discussions, all of the attributes work together. It's really hard to talk about just one on a given Sunday, and we're going to mix in some others today and um, Pastor Andrew's discussion of the eternality of God last week is essential to understanding that he's unchangeable because the question is if God has existed from eternity to eternity, from everlasting to everlasting, the next question is, well, has he changed at all during that time? Has he somehow gotten better? Has he somehow evolved? And this morning we say No. God is unchanging. He has had no need to change, no reason to change. He is the changeless one. So let's explore what it means that He is unchangeable. The first thing out of the definition and the first point of your notes is God is unchanging in being and attributes. Who God is never changes. God is unchanging in being and attributes. Who God is never changes. When we talk about His being, we're talking about His essence, the very thing that makes Him God. And He doesn't change in any way. He doesn't somehow become a different God tomorrow or more of a God or less of a God. He is God. If you remember our discussion of Exodus 3, His name was I Am. And we sang about that this morning. The great I Am. Which means to be. The one that created all things. The one that always has been. And part of that idea, whenever you see Yahweh, is that He is, His his very essence is and always has been and it has not changed. Turn with me to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, chapter 10, or verse 10. And again, like the other attributes, we're going to look at a a variety of different verses that help give us a, a flavor of what God teaches about this attribute. But Hebrews 1, verse 10. And the author of Hebrews here is actually quoting Psalm 102. It's a great description, a starting point for understanding that God's being and His attributes do not change. His attributes are part of His being. They are that part that describes His being and describes who He is as a collection. They are always true. They are always united. In Hebrews 1, verse 10, we read, 
And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will all be changed. They will be changed. But you are the same. And your years have no end. That last phrase is key, but you are the same. And your years have no end. The, the idea of and your years have no end, that's the eternality of God that we talked about last week. But the phrase before that, but you are the same, references to, to that He is identical. That He is unchanged. From everlasting to everlasting, nothing has ever changed about God. He is the uncreated one. The author there is, is saying that all of creation, however, does change. Look at, at verse 10. The types of things he's bringing up about creation. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in, its, in the beginning. The, the very soil, the very ground, that what we think of as solid. Well, maybe not in California, but what most people think of as, as solid. And the heavens are the work of your hands. And he's bringing up the two most permanent things we can think about creation. The two most lasting things we can think of creation. And he says, they perish, but you remain. They wear out like a garment. They change because they're, they're winding down. They, they're wearing out. But God does not change. He does not wear out. When we were in Mexico one time playing with the kids and the kids are, are looking at me and looking at all the youth that were going. It was a youth trip and they, they would come up to me and say, you're old. Thank you. God loves you. Uh, and, and some of the older people would, would come alongside and they'd say, no, 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 no. You're not old. And this is a rough translation. The mountains are old and they still get green every year. I was like, what? And their, their point was they were referring to the oldest thing that they could think of was the mountains. And they're like, every year in, in the right season, the trees still grow on them. They still have life in them. They still get green. And so they look at me and say, no, no, you're not old. You still get green every year. And it, like I said, it doesn't translate real well, but I just went with it. But the point is they're viewing the mountains as the oldest thing, the, the thing that's unchangeable. And what the psalmist says that the author of Hebrews is quoting is, no, the, the, the very foundation of the earth, the very soil, the rock that we stand on, it's going to perish. It's going to wear out. Like a robe, you will roll them up. And that, that deals with his power, with his strength, which we'll get into in a couple of weeks. Like a garment, they will be changed. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. But you are the same. You're identical. And so God in His being is identical. He is the same. He has always been the God that we read about in Scripture. He will always be the God that we read about in Scripture. Nothing will violate that. As we think about that, we, we think about His attributes, His love and His justice and His omnipotence and His omniscience and all of the attributes we're talking about. And that unchanging character extends to every one of those. His attributes never change. They never cease to exist. He doesn't tomorrow get a new attribute. They have always been part of Him from all time. He is and always will be all-powerful, loving, just, righteous, omniscient, holy. 
Arthur Pink in his book said, it's like Semper Edom, which means always the same, is written across every one of them. And so picture every attribute of God that never changes. The verse that the, the worship team shared this morning, James 1.17, refers to a, a couple of those attributes. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And, and the, the, the argument of that verse is we can trust that good gifts come from the Father and they always will because God is good and He always will be good. His attributes will not change. And so the argument is the Father of lights in whom there is no variation. There is no shadow of change. Some translations will say shadow of turning, which is why in Great is Thy Faithfulness we have those words. It's right out of this verse. And if you think of even, even a shadow of turning, there's not even a hint of change. There's not even a hint of somehow my attributes have changed and who I am has, has changed. Now, now sometimes with this verse it's problematic because we think, well, I don't see how that's good. I, I don't see how what God has given me is good. And we forget that it's not our definition of good that God has held to. It's His definition of good and for His glory that He acts according to. And at times in the grand scheme of things, according to His providence and His sovereignty, that He works in ways that we temporarily don't see as good, but eternally we will see as good. And we can know that because God never changes. Tomorrow He's not going to accidentally give you a gift that isn't good. And so we know that whatever we receive from Him and as He works in our lives, however hard it may be, we can have confidence that He is working all things together for His good. And ultimately, His good is our good. There is no variation, no change. In Malachi 3.6, another popular verse that we have for, for God not changing, it really is a verse about His faithfulness and, and the positive side of Him not changing. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Isn't that an odd pairing? I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you are not consumed or destroyed. And what God is saying here is, is he's, the, the prophet, he's speaking through the prophet Malachi and He's speaking judgment on the children of Israel because they have disobeyed. In this case, they're robbing God of their tithes and offerings. They're about to be judged. And God says this, because I don't change, I will honor my commitment of faithfulness to you. I will honor my covenant to you. And I'm not just going to wipe you right off the face of the earth, even though that's probably what you deserve. And because God doesn't change, and He had promised Abraham, He shows His mercy. He shows His patience. He shows His faithfulness. And His attributes are on display as not changing. As not changing. See, God is perfect and infinite in all His being. He's perfect and infinite in all His attributes. There is no need to change. Just think about what change means for a moment. And this, this helps us understand why this is so important. There's really only three broad categories of how we change. 
we can either change for the better or, or have more of something. We can change for the worse, have less of something, or we can change our being, who we are. Really, all change sort of fits within those three. We'll take those one by one, or actually we'll take the first two together, better or worse, and, and what we see is there is no quantitative change in God. In your notes, there is no quantitative change. He can't increase in anything. He can't decrease in anything. Imagine if tomorrow God became more loving. So, so tomorrow God is more loving. Great! Praise God! He's more loving. What does that mean for today? He's less loving. He is not perfect in His love. He is not God. Now imagine for a moment that we have changed the other way and tomorrow He's going to be less loving or less righteous. Now we have a God who isn't God again because if you take even a a speck of unrighteousness, then the whole is contaminated. A speck of unholiness and he He now is no longer holy at all or righteous at all. He cannot change and stay God. And praise God, I don't want to wake up tomorrow and find out that I have a God who is still wrathful but has abandoned all love. Or who is no longer faithful to His promise to me as a child of God. To my inheritance. If He changes for the better, what was He when we first trusted Him? If He changes for the worst, why trust Him? And so there, there is no quantitative change in God. There can be no quantitative change. But the second point you have is there is no qualitative change. His being doesn't change. He doesn't turn from a caterpillar to a butterfly. He is God and always has been God. His life does not change. He does not evolve Some have taken with a process theology that views God as evolving as He deals with human beings. That somehow, as He experiences what human beings experience, He he becomes a different sort of God. And that's heresy. Because God is, always has been, and always will be God. It is very being. It is very essence. If God changes, if who He is changes then where is the source of my salvation tomorrow? What if the very plan of salvation changes tomorrow? Now where am I at? What if the the idea that Jesus stood in my place and took God's wrath on the cross as a propitiation for my sins, what if tomorrow God says, you know what, That that was a good plan, I have a better one. Where would we be? Do you see why the unchangeableness of God is essential for trust in God, for belief in God, for following Him? Just a logical extension of that. If His being and attributes never change, His Word will never change. The Bible, God's Word, is an expression of of God. It's His voice. It's His Word, His attributes of truth coming out in printed form. And so if He never changes, if His attributes never change, then the truth that He has said never changes. In Psalm 119.89, we read, Forever, O Lord, Your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. 
In Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. And that gives us an assurance of God's word. Even though we're reading text that was written 2,000 years ago, and that's a popular criticism of God's word, isn't it? Well, that's an old book. You're reading a book that was written 2,000 years ago. We're reading the very words of a God who is exactly the same today as he was 2,000 years ago. Just as relevant, just as truthful, just as desirous of calling a holy people to himself. And so we have confidence as we come to God's word. So God's being and his attributes do not change. Secondly, God's purposes and his promises do not change. His purposes and his promises do not change. In Psalm 110, verse 4, we read, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we see that, that out of his being and attributes not changing, come his plan won't change. His promises. Because if God promises something to us and then says, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, now that's change. His purpose doesn't change. What He has decided to do is an extension of His character. Turn over a couple chapters to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 14. Hebrews 6, verse 14. picking it up, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath for final confirmation. Then verse 17, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. And you have his purpose and his promise. He's convincing them of his promise by showing them that his purpose never changes. Verse 18 goes on to say, so that by two unchangeable things, and those unchangeable things are his promise and his oath, that they will not change, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So God's purpose does not change. His promises do not change. And the end of that, and we'll, we'll get to it when we look at implications, the end of that is that we can ha- take refuge in Him. We can trust Him. We've all known people that don't keep their promises. What happens when, when, when you have a person like that that you know rarely keeps their promises? What happens when they promise something to you? Ha! Huh. Their words are about as as good as as nothing. I I don't know what. Because their, their character is one that they don't keep their promises. Well, because God is unchanging, He will always do what He says. His character is truth. Faithfulness. And so here He says, my purpose is unchangeable. His purpose is to bring glory to Himself by redeeming creation to Himself. Everything falls into that storyline. And we can trust it. We can trust Him. 
Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man, a created thing, that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And so in a world where everything changes, where we struggle to keep promises, where we struggle to stay on track with, with our purposes, God's unchangeability stands out like a lighthouse. He will always be good. He will always be righteous. His plan of salvation will always stay the same. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Not I am the way, the truth, and the life today. But isn't there security in that? Isn't there a, a, a stability like we're standing on a rock? Praise God, He never changes. Point number three in your notes, God acts differently in response to different situations. God acts differently in response to different situations. You may say, well, wait, you just said He never changes. And one of the, the common um, questions about an unchanging God is, well, then why does He treat people differently in different situations? And it's important to, to look at those verses and to address that why would God forgive one moment but condemn another moment or, or vice versa? What has changed? And the key to understanding that is God has created us, as, as Pastor Andrew was saying last week, in time. He created time and He deals with us in time. And so within that time, He deals with circumstances in the same way for the same set of circumstances. He always deals with them righteously. He always deals with them justly. But if the circumstances have changed, then his, his attributes, His righteousness, His justice, His goodness, His love, requires that He responds in a different way. In Genesis 6, verse 6 through 8, and this is one of the verses that people will go to a lot, it says, And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And it's important to understand this grieving, this regret, is not God saying that, that if He had it to do over again, He would do it differently. This is a, a God who is responding as a righteous God to the sin of His people. And a righteous God must be grieved at sin. And so when a people sin, God's character requires Him to be grieved. He will always be grieved. One of the points we'll look at in a minute is that God, even though He is unchanging, He is a God that experiences emotion. And that's one of the mistakes that we sometimes tr transfer onto God when we think of Him as unchanging. And so it grieved His heart that people had sinned. What changed? The sin of the people. Righteousness requires Him to deal with that sin. But praise God that God is able to respond differently in different situations. In 1 John 1.9, a verse we studied as we were going through 1 John, a familiar verse, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and here again is God responding to different circumstances in a different way. If we don't confess our sins, judgment, wrath. If we do confess our sins, forgiveness and cleansing. 
Does that mean God is different? No, his character and his sovereignty already has defined both of those options. What's changed is our heart of repentance. In Jonah verse, chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that had said he, that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So did God change? No. The people of Nineveh changed because they repented. And so God responded to that repentance by showing mercy. As a righteous God would. God will always act rightly in the current situation. He will always act according to His attributes in a given situation. And praise God. Praise God for salvation. Praise God for repentance. And these don't represent a change in God, which is why in our definition we say that He can respond differently to different situations. They, they, they actually display the complexity of God. Because God in His sovereignty and His omniscience and His eternality where He sees all time at once has already seen the different options here. That He has already seen that there would be repentance. And in His plan, it was always planned from all eternity that He would not destroy Nineveh at this time. That He would forgive our sins. But as a sovereign God can, He has chosen to respond to his creation. Not that we blindside him, not that he somehow is bound to our will, but because he knows us and he sovereignly has said, I choose to respond to you. If you repent, I will forgive. And so regret, when you read that God regretted something, it's a, an expression of God's displeasure with a current situation. It's, a, it's a, an expression of his, his righteousness toward that sin. But it doesn't mean that he would go back and change anything. Because it has always been his plan from all eternity that will end up in his ultimate glory. And we cannot stop that. We'll delve into this a little bit more when we deal with sovereignty of God. Like I said, they all intertwine, and so I just want to bring up a couple things and then deal with them as, as we get to those attributes. But tied in with this is the question of, does God answer prayer? Well, if God is unchanging, if He has a plan, then why pray? Does it even change anything? Have you ever asked that question? Absolutely. It, it's an important question to understand, and and, and understand, I, I put a, a de definition in your notes. God sovereignly has chosen to hear and answer our prayers to accomplish His plan and to bring Him glory. Let me repeat that. God sovereignly has chosen to hear and answer our prayers to accomplish His plan and to bring Him, to gl to bring him glory. This has been His plan from eternity. Now, now this again is where we, we, we struggle with sovereignty but sovereignty simply means God can do whatever He wants. God can do as He pleases. And if it pleases God to take us into account, that's up to Him. We get into trouble when we say that because of God's sovereignty, He doesn't take us into account. We're actually denying His sovereignty when we say that. Because God can do what He wants. But He doesn't have to. 
And so when we begin to understand that, and this is where all of the attributes come together, when we begin to understand that God sovereignly has said, I will consider your prayers. Now, I don't understand how that works completely. I'm not God. I never will be. But God has said, I will hear and I will answer your prayers. And the way that I make sense of that is God in His sovereignty and in the eternality has, has seen that and knows that that is happening and has already included that in His plan from the beginning of time. And so does it blindside God? No, because it's always been His plan. But does it affect what God has done? Yes, because He has chosen from the beginning of time that it would. Does that make sense? Sort of, sort of hurts a, a little bit to think about. But I can guarantee because God's Word says He hears and because God's Word says that He answers that prayer does change things. It just doesn't change God. But it changes the circumstances because as I come to God, the circumstances have changed. And so I can say with assurance that there are times when we pray that God answers and hears And that changes the outcome. And I can say with assurance that when we don't pray, that at times does not change the outcome because a sovereign God who does all things for His glory is is wanting His children to come to Him and to submit to Him so He can show His glory through our prayers. And when we disobey by not praying, when we disobey by not submitting to Him, He does not honor that. And that has been part of his plan to show his glory from the beginning of time. And I think what makes it so hard is we're, we're, we're created beings created in time. And we can't understand how God could be outside of time and know all of these things and act accordingly. Why pray? Why pray? first point is we're we're instructed to pray. Whether we understand the process or not, we're instructed to pray. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. If you look through the, the whole New Testament, especially on prayer, you see over and over, pray without ceasing, Pray for me for this. Pray for this. And we see an instruction to come to God in prayer. Because as we do so, we are submitting to God and we are submitting to His will. We also know that God promises to hear and answer according to His will. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked of Him. And so we're showing our dependence on Him by aligning ourselves to His will, by saying, not my will, but yours be done. Turn over to John fourteen thirteen, A verse that, that I believe is a key verse to understanding prayer. To having the right heart for prayer. John fourteen thirteen. We pray because God answers prayer for the glory of God. For the glory of God. In John 14, 13, a short verse, 
Jesus is talking, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And the theological principle underlying prayer is that as we pray, as we align ourselves with God, as He then reveals Himself and acts and shows His power, it reveals His glory. See, prayer isn't about you and I getting what we want. Prayer is about God showing who He is. And until we understand that, we're not praying with the right heart. It's not about does God change, it's about how can God use this as a tool to show the world who He is, to show you who He is, to show me who He is. And so His answers to prayer always are dependent on what will bring Him glory, which is dependent on His will. We need to move on. But hopefully that just gets you interested in reading more about prayer and how that works. Number four, God's unchangeability does not mean He is static and does not work. God's unchangeability does not mean He is static and does not work. In John 5.17, Jesus answers a question. He says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And so God is working within time. He's working His plan of redemption to redeem creation to Himself for His glory. It is, it is easy sometimes to think of, well, if God is unchanging, then He's static. He's no longer involved. But no, He's unchanging in His being and His attributes and His purposes and His promises. And He is working to fulfill those purposes and will be to the end of time. Number five there, God's unchangeability does not mean He is without emotion or impassive. Throughout Scripture, we clearly see that God has emotion. We see Him grieved when there's sin. We see that He rejoices when people come to Him. And so unchangeability doesn't mean I'm the stoic and I don't feel anything. But his emotions are directed by his attributes. Which is why a righteous God is grieved at sin. Which is why God rejoices over repentance when people fall in line with who he is and what his will is. So what are the implications of God's unchangeableness? What difference does it make that God is unchangeable? And we've mentioned a couple of them. The first is that His commands do not change. His commands do not change. We know how to live holy lives. We know what to expect. It's in His Word. Tomorrow, He won't wake up and say, oh, by the way, it's okay to murder today. It's okay to commit adultery today. His, his commands do not change because He does not change. Have you ever had a boss who, who it's, it just feels like the bar is always changing? Okay, this is what you're supposed to do today. And you come, you get it done, and, and the next day you come in, and they're like, you did that? That's not what I wanted you to do. I had this list of objectives, and, and you should have done that. And, and what does that do in the workplace? <laughs> no. Frustration? Leaving? All, all kinds of challenges. And, and, and as fallible human beings, I would bet we've all had a boss like that. 
Because we all are changing. We all, none of us are God. But when we think of God as unchangeable, His standard never changes. His directives never change. There is confidence in that. It's why we can disciple. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Because the, the basis of being able to disciple someone to follow God is that God's instructions haven't changed. I can pass on what God has taught me about how to walk with Him because those are constant. In Hebrews 13.7, this is a, another passage that's used about Jesus being the same, but the context is in following God and in discipleship. Context, context, context. In Hebrews 13.7-9, through 9, if you're still in Hebrews, you can flip over to it. Hebrews 13.7-9. through 9. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember, one of the words for discipleship was imitation. So, so the author is saying, imitate their faith, be discipled by them, copy them. And the very next thing he says in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we usually just pull that verse out, right? And, and use it for the unchangeableness of Christ. And that's true, it's, it's valid, but the context here brings so much more richness to it, it's in the context of following Christ. And, and copying others who have followed Christ. If he doesn't change, then now I can follow someone that, that has been walking with him, that has learned how to walk with him. Verse 9, do not be led away by diverse or strange teachings. The teachings remain constant. So one of the implications, one of the, the things to think about and the unchangeableness of God is that his commands do not change. His commands do not change. The second is that we know he will keep his promises. We know that He will keep His promises. Nothing will change those promises or His ability to fulfill them. In Matthew 28, He's promised to be with us to the end of the age to help us accomplish His purpose. That promise never is invalid. He will be with us to the end of the age. He never changes. And finally, He is our stable rock. We can trust Him. He's our stable rock. We can trust Him. On Monday, Mario and Lancy just took me for a drive around Portugal to let me see some of the sights. And we're driving down the coastline, and it's one of those coastlines with cliffs and rocks out in the water. And, and as we were passing by this one section, they said, you've got to see this. And I look out, and there's just in the water these massive rocks that the waves are crashing against, and those rocks are just stable and firm, and nothing changes them. And if, if I was out there, I'd want to be on the rock, not in the water. But even those rocks are nothing compared to the stability and the unchangeableness of God. And what a picture of God being our rock. And throughout Scripture, we, we see that word used to describe God. He is our rock. In Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? In Deuteronomy 32, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. See, God as unchangeable is infinitely worth our trust. And when we think about how we live life, how is this 
How is this something we can put into practice? The question that we ask out of God's unchangeableness is what do we trust? What do we trust in life to cope? What gets us through? Is it the bowl of ice cream at the end of the night? Although that helps. Is it, is it all kinds of other things that we use to cope with the distresses of life, the changes of life, with the problems of life? Or are we drawn back to the character and person of Jesus Christ, of God Almighty? Are we drawn back to His Word? And, and we're looking for something tangible to help us. But if you think about everything that we put security in, maybe it's a job with a good paycheck, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's, it's having a, a perfect family, <laughs> and, and, you know, whatever it is, all of those things change. They all pass away. And if that's what we're looking to for trust, if that's what we're looking to for security, for safety, for our joy, it will always fail. It will always fail. The only unchangeable is God. And so when we're struggling, when life is just pressing in, come back to the character of God. Come back to reading His Word. Come back to reminding ourselves of who God is, that He is unchangeable. The same God that carried us through yesterday, the same God that carried us through the the trials of a year ago, is the same God that loves you and wants to carry you today. The same God that secured your salvation and promised that you are adoptive sons and daughters of the King and that will never change is the same God that says, trust me now, that even though you don't see how the situation can work out for good, I and my sovereign plan can do that. And we find strength to move on in an unchanging God. The Hebrews 6 passage that we read earlier In verse 19, it's just talked about that he's guaranteed the unchangeable character of his purpose and his promise. says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. That's what we need when we're faced with, with what goes on in life with the change of life, with the troubles of life, when sin has affected us, when sin of others has affected us. We need a steadfast anchor of the soul, a sure anchor, and that is in Christ Jesus, our walk with Him and who He is. As we close, I praise God for two things. I praise God that He is unchangeable because I can trust Him. I can follow Him. I can believe Him. And I also praise God that we are changeable because He is transforming us into His likeness daily. Through sanctification, He is making us more and more like Him because we need to change. He does not. So I challenge you, what do you go to for security. Go to our Lord. Let Him use those circumstances to change you, to refine you. Let's pray. Lord God, I praise You for being the great unchangeable One. The One we can trust. The One we can rely on. The One that we can come to in prayer because You've promised that You will hear our prayers and You keep Your promises. 
Lord, I pray that in the change of life, in the stress of life, in the drama of life, that we would quit trying to solve our, our problems with other things other than your word and who you are and your power and your grace and your mercy. Lord, envelop us in those things. Lord, I pray that we as a congregation, no matter what happens, would stand on you as the solid rock, the rock that never changes. And Lord, by doing so, we will proclaim your glory, that we will proclaim that God is our help. God has helped us through situations that we will show you to a world that so desperately needs you. Thank you for your word, in Jesus' name.